We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Okay, so what we're doing today, now that we got more than a few people in, what we're doing today, we're going to have a live stream talking with the Big Blue Banter guys, which I would say out of all Giants podcasts in the entire world, they focus the most on the All-22 film, All-22 side of thing, coaches film. I love to call it the Section 315 view of, you know, because that's where I sit, Section 315, yes. where I'm like talking to, I'm talking to, well, I'm talking to say this so now, Justin. I don't, no, I don't yeah. mean to cut you off, but are you on yeah. my camp of, I'd much rather sit in the third level than the first level. Yes, I actually am adamant about it. Same. Um, and I have gotten mad at people that have taken yep. me to games before that have, I I feel bad because they've taken me to games. It's like, oh, let's sit in this 100 section. And they think and... it's so nice. Like, they think these are the good seats. The 100s are not the, the good seats. Unless you're at 50-yard line and you're a little further up, like 14 to 20 rows up, those aren't the good seats, especially if no. it's end zone. Then it's maybe the worst seat in the house. End zone, yeah. like front front row, like it's great when your team when the Giants are driving and they're in the red zone. Every when it's on the other side of the field, it's miserable, and you can never tell. Like my biggest problem with the end zone view, this is another little rant of mine that I want to get out there, is you can never really tell how many yards are picked up on a play from that end zone angle. You need the other mm-hmm. angle, and so just a big proponent of the best seats in the house for me would be like mid two hundreds, fifty yard line. That's the best yeah. in the house. Yeah, I'm like on the 30 yard line. So I, I love it. I get all 22 access before everybody does. So, haha. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to look at it. I like that. But thank you guys for joining me. We're going to have a conversation about, you know, Giants. Uh, you know, we're going to, you know, talk about maybe a little sad state of affairs to start, give a little mini Chargers preview, Daniel Jones, Joe Judge, Patrick Graham, and then we'll end it off with uh, some fun questions. So, where you're here on YouTube, welcome. And then also, I guess hello to the crowd that's listening to this on the podcast app for the Big Blue Banter crowd. Hello, my name is Justin Pennick. I'm the co-host of uh, Talking Giants alongside Bobby Skinner. Um, and I would say that Big Blue Panther and Talking Giants, we've said this about each other uh, quite a bit, but I think we cover, like if you listen to our, both of our podcasts, 
hand in hand. I think we cover basically everything. Uh, I, I don't think you need uh, really anywhere else or anywhere else to really go to. Um, Big Blue Banter and Talking Giants has kind of got you covered um, with, with and I'll everything. Say it in a, I'll say it in Giants. a less political way, Justin, because I don't care. These are the two there best podcasts by far in the Giants. There you go. There you go. The I numbers speak for themselves. I love it. Yes, that's true. So, Nick, I want to throw it to you first. Here's so, kind of like the the opening question, opening statement. At this point, Giants stink. They're bad, and it's not even like they stink in their bed, right? It's Daniel Jones is out, and now the level of analysis that we wanted to give or the evaluation that we wanted to give, it's very much skewed, right? So at this point, what are you watching for? You can be as pessimistic or you know negative as much as you want or optimistic. What are you watching for? What are you looking for? What are you evaluating that could possibly mean something for the future of this football team? Or is there really nothing right now? No, there's always something to evaluate. So sticking with the offensive side of the football, look, Joe Judge might be back for another season. Now, whether we like that or we don't, that's kind of not the case right now because he might be back. Now, who's going to be the offensive coordinator? That's the big question. So what I'm really watching for is how Freddie Kitchens calls plays and the kind of route concepts that he uses to maximize the yards after the catch and how he uses Jason Garrett's playbook differently than Jason Garrett used it because he's not operating within his own playbook and he can't just pick up, you know, Monday uh, install and just install an entire different playbook. He's using Jason Garrett's terminology. He's using Jason Garrett's formations. He's using Jason Garrett's playbook, but I want to see how he uses that. That's what I evaluate every game. What is he doing differently than Jason Garrett? And I feel like he is, he's adding a bunch of different little wrinkles and doing just a little different things. Like the time he ran on third and seven, no one expected it. The Giants actually picked up 10 yards. That never happens on a run, but Hey, it happened when he did it on a non running down because Miami sent a pass blitz and the Giants were able to block it up and actually felt like Saquon Barkley did a good job hitting the hole on that one play. So I'm always evaluating Freddie Kitchens right now, but then Mm -hmm. also looking at Saquon Barkley, because I don't know Saquon Barkley's uh, longevity here with the New York Giants. I don't want the Giants to give him a long-term deal. I don't think he's warranted that. I didn't think the Giants should have picked him with the second overall pick, but he's still a very talented and athletic running back that I feel like is not maximizing his potential and his athletic potential with the indecisiveness that he kind of has when he possesses the football. So I'm looking at his abilities behind this makeshift offensive line that does not give him a lot of room to operate. But at the same time, he is still leaving some yards on the field. And then I just want to look at every single one of these young players. I want to look at Ben Bredesen and players like that. It sucks that Shane Lemieux and Nick Gates aren't there because we would definitely be evaluating them. I don't believe the Giants are going to retain Billy Price. Probably not going to retain Will Hernandez. Matt Parrott can barely see the field. Nate Solder, he's gone. And then Andrew Thomas is the one guy that we can all look at and just be like, there we go. Yeah, that guy, he's pretty good right there. So it's really just kind of evaluating for the future, evaluating all of these young pieces within Freddie Kitchens, Jason Garrett playbook and how Freddie Kitchens uses it, obviously. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. 
com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dan, where are you at? Yeah, I mean, I think Nick nailed it. For me, there's two. it's two-pronged right now, at least on the offensive side of the ball. It's one, Freddie Kitchens. And I'll say this, and you guys can listen to the All-22 podcast we dropped yesterday. Me and Nick were both very impressed with what we saw from Freddie Kitchens, specifically in the first half. Second half, maybe not as much. But in the first half, before Glennon's concussion and Nick has a little theory that at like the 950 mark in the second quarter that's when the concussion happened and you do see a clear drop off in Glennon's play from that point on hmm. um he's just falling back on every throw he's off balance base but there were a lot of things to like about what Freddie Kitchens did and he won't get any credit for it because the Giants ended up with just nine points and you know they didn't move the ball at all but that's an execution thing he had Glennon at quarterback he has a horrific offensive line and more so than even just the problems with the personnel right now they're not in sync at all on the offensive side of the ball. I haven't seen a team run a worse screen game than the Giants, and he actively tried to get screen game. Going. Even the new wrinkles he mixed in, like the push pass to Barkley, it's poorly blocked. The, the fake push pass to the screen to Booker, a call I loved, show push pass earlier in the game, which I wanted them to steal from the Chiefs anyway for years, then come back to that, fake it, and then go to the screen to Booker. Great play call, but of course, Skira can't get out. The blocking is just atrocious on those plays they're not in sync so i want to continue to see freddie kitchens do things like nick said catch defenses off guards with play calls what's an example of that well nick's broke broke it down perfectly it's run the ball on a third and six occasionally mm. third and six third and seven whatever it was when the defense expecting pass and he did that well in the cleveland game last year by the way in his one audition so that's my number one thing but the other thing is like evaluate these young offensive linemen, like Nick said, I really want to take a look at Ben Bredesen over the rest of the season. And I was hoping to get a look at Matt Parrott. I'm not sure the Giants are going to give us that look, but that's what I was hoping for. Because look, you go into an off season, 
it is not easy to even find one starting offensive lineman. A lot of the guys you draft are not ready to play in year one. We've been spoiled in recent years with Rashawn Slater, Andrew Thomas, and Tristan Wirfs. It does not always work out like that. A lot of the time, this is the hardest position to transition to NFL, and it takes years for some of these guys. And the Giants, without any cap space, are going to have to try to find four starters potentially on this line. So I don't want that to happen. I want them to only have to find maybe two or three three, hopefully two, if Ben Bredesen can show something and then hopefully Matt Parrott, which, you know, I don't know that they're not even playing him, but you know, at this point, or maybe Billy Price can pick it up, but I don't really think me and Nick are pretty high on price long-term, unfortunately. So at least Bredesen, at least let us knock that number down to three offensive linemen to try to fill instead of four. It's such an indictment, the whole Matt Parrott situation right now. Like he can't even see the field and it seems like there's something internally happening with Matt Parrott. Like that is, that is such an egregious oversight by this coaching staff that they went into this season being like, yeah, we're comfortable with Matt Parrott starting. Nate, Nate Solder, he'll be the swing tackle. And then before week one, we're like, oh, well, Nate Solder's actually going to start, even though he hasn't played football in over a year. It's like something's a little off here. Something is a little weird. And you can kind of start kind of reading through the tea leaves being like, this could be a really rough season, especially if the Giants suffer one injury on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. What happened in week two? Nick Gates, their second best offensive lineman, goes down. And then it's just like, oh, geez, man, this is not going to be pretty whatsoever. Luckily, they traded for Ben Bredesen and Billy Price, right? Well, neither of them have really stepped up to the mantle quite yet. I'm a little bit higher on Bredesen than I am on Price. But overall, the entire offensive line situation is egregious. Yeah. um, Even Scora, who Bobby has said that he's a much better IQ player than athlete at the the guard spot. And sometimes you certainly see... You know, he makes some good IQ plays, but he's being outmatched physically too. And the whole thing with Matt Parrott, you know, you had a you had how many offensive line coaches last year that he played? You know, he had two. And then Joe Judge, who was should be heavily involved in every single aspect of the team, but was very heavily involved with the offensive line towards Mark Colombo's final weeks with the team, supposedly and reportedly, right? If the intensity problem and Matt Parrott not having that dog in him, right? Because that's what Rob Sale and Joe Judge have said. Now, I'm not taking everything that they say like totally to heart because they're not going to come out and say the guy sucks and they're not going to come out and tell you the actual truth as to why he's not playing. But if that is the reason, right, which is a solid reason for an offensive lineman to not be aggressive enough, fine. If that's the case, though, you had an entire year to evaluate him last year. You know, that that's the frustrating thing. And I you think it have goes even deeper than that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, Justin, but I think it goes even deeper than that because that goes down to the scouts. That goes down to the general manager because you have to be able to evaluate these guys' personalities as well. You have to know if this guy's going to have the dog in him to be an offensive lineman. He didn't. It, if that's not the case with Parrott, this wouldn't be the first time it happened. They completely misevaluated DeAndre Baker from that standpoint. It's obvious. They traded three picks to go get this guy. You don't trade three picks to get someone unless you're locked in. I would argue you should never be trading three picks for anyone but a quarterback anyway, but you should really not be doing it for someone who you're not sure of off the field. And, you know, so it's just if he doesn't have the dog in him, if that's the reason and. You know, you look at it like, oh, the coaches aren't going to say anything bad about him. I look at the opposite way, Justin. I look at it like Judge hasn't said a single word about a single player at any point negatively. And this is now he comes out publicly and says that about someone. That's really bad. Like, that's yeah. a really, really bad well, sign. Well, Rob, Rob Sale went out, went in on him Rob more. Sale was the one, yeah. And yeah, um, I was at um the joint practices. My my buddy Snacks and I, we were at the joint practices in New England for, you know, just a couple of days. But that was it. That's all Giants fans got in terms of fa- fans going in and saying, you know, non-beat right. non reporters. And 
Sale, and I'm having trouble remembering the off- the assistant offensive line coach's name. Um, you know, what, what was that, Nick? Wilkerson. 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 Ben Wilkerson. Yes, yeah. Ben Wilkerson got in Parrot's face, like, and it was one of the, and I could sense it was one of those conversations of like, dude, you got to give me more. It wasn't a happy-go-lucky, hey, how you doing, bud? Conversation. It right. was a coach, get it right in front of your face mask, and like, let's like, let's fucking go. You know what I mean? So uh, that's. That's the kind of vibe that I picked up in the summer. And you know, it's just crazy that you know we're in we're in 2021 and they had the offseason to possibly do something about it. And if the alternative was Mike Remmers for this year, fine. If the alternative yeah. was even Cam Fleming this year, eh, but okay. But Better the fact than that it's Solder. Nate Solder just makes it that much worse. Yeah. Yeah. I want to add something into the to the pair conversation. First off, shout out to Snacks, Jason Garrett, Doppelganger, you know, shout out, bro. But <laughs> but we've kind of talked about Matt Parrott's passiveness on our podcast, Dan. And I think the word we used to describe him was passive hands in pass protection. Yeah. A lot of the times he, he doesn't, he doesn't attach, you attach and attack, you know, he, he kind of just places and then glides. He was always more of a smooth moving athletic type of tackle rather than I'm going to maul and rip your face off type of tackle. And that's kind of what we got on the film too. And it's obvious that that's what Rob Sale and Joe Judge are talking about when they're saying that he doesn't have that dog in him. I think it's very obvious when you watch the tape. doesn't mean he can't be effective, but do you really want an offensive lineman that doesn't have that dog? You know, it's third and one. I need you to grind through someone's soul. And that's kind of what that pair hasn't really shown that quite yet. But again, the Giants had to know that when they drafted him. I mean, it was similar. At U- he was dominating UConn competition because it was a UConn competition. But you can see, man, those hands were always passive. They're not violent. Yeah. All right. So, we'll, you know, we're going to – we just referenced Joe Judge a little bit, the coaching staff and evaluating. So we're going to get to Joe Judge. We're going to get to some other players. For a few minutes here, may not even be all that worth it because it doesn't matter – it almost doesn't even matter who the Giants are playing this weekend. If you're without Daniel Jones and – possibly without Mike Glennon, and we're looking at possibly Jake Fromm starting. That's not a good situation. So let's have a little bit of a mini Chargers preview where maybe I can let you guys Google Gaga over Justin Herbert as uh, as film guys. So playing Justin Herbert, possibly without Keenan Allen. I know he's vaccinated, but he's on the COVID list, so that's TBD. Brandon Staley could play the conservative route with Joey Bosa, but he's practiced this week. Asante Samuel Jr., Linville Joseph are some other question marks. But at the end of the day, um, guys, I'm expecting like – a Los Angeles Rams type of game for the Giants where it's just going to be kind of, you know, maybe the first quarter the Giants are hanging in there, which has been the entire status quo of this year. The point differential for the Giants through throughout the first quarter is only minus one this year, but I think it dips down to almost minus 60 in quarter two, and then it gets worse from there on out. So could be a close game in the first quarter, but I think the Chargers ultimately pull away. Um, you know, what do we, what do we expect from the Chargers this weekend? And, uh, you know, if, like I said, if you want to Google Goggle over Justin Herbert, I'd be I'd be all ears. Well, I think if they had all their receivers active, and I just actually saw from Daniel Popper that according to whatever it is, uh, I don't know why this is the reason, but based on the close contact thing, Mike Williams actually might be cleared by Friday. So Mike Williams now apparently might play. Keenan Allen, I think, is at, more likely to be out, whatever it may be. But they do have some talented guys behind them. Josh Palmer is a rookie who we loved in the draft. We thought he should be drafted a full round ahead of where he was drafted. Great steal, I think. 
And we just talked to a Chargers beat writer, uh, Steve Hagland, who who said, you know, the film looks really good on Palmer. And so he might get a look. But I think Nick nailed it actually on that podcast. What's really going to happen is Austin Eckler is going to go off in this game because the flats are always open against Patrick Graham. Like Nick said, mm-hmm. he's right. And Austin Eckler is really good in the receiving game. And Joe Lombardi really likes to use his running backs in the receiving game. So if you can get in on any props, by the way, I don't know if we have gamblers listening to this, but if you get any props. We have, we have DraftKings on the logo. There you go. Get in on the Austin Eckler over for receiving yards and for catches. I think I'm going to hit one for you guys there. But for me overall, I think you nailed it, Justin. I think it'll be a lot like that Rams game, regardless of which receivers play, mostly because this is the exact type of quarterback that Patrick Graham's defense struggles with. Mm -hmm. If you have a quarterback who has the velo to rip through these zones, it's never looking pretty for Graham. And it's not like Tua didn't move the ball at times. Like the Giants got some punts and Giants forced some punts against the Dolphins. It was great. I'm not so sure they're going to force too many punts against this Chargers team. So, like, can they stop them in the red zone, force field goals of Cratchit Grimway? Sure, that might happen. Can they get some turnovers? Hopefully. But without an offense moving the ball, uh, it just doesn't feel like they're going to keep this one as close as they kept Miami game. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I, I like to look at the stats side of things. And I looked last year during Herbert's rookie year, and then you look this year where, you know, you, lo- you like to think of Herbert big arm, right? Big arm, his intended air yards is probably – one of the highest in the league, or at least it's maybe a little bit above average. And then no, it's actually, it's actually kind of similar to Daniel Jones. But the difference is, is that, you know, this is still an offense that's able to score points. This is still an efficient offense. And that's what very much makes the chargers offense different from the giants offense. So that's why I think Herbert and the way that he operates, if that intended air yards per pass attempt is kind of low and they're still successful, that's exactly what this Patrick Graham defense doesn't like when you're able to target that intermediate part of the field and kind of methodically just move the chains from there. So Nick, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Yeah, I look at the 10 point spread and I'm not confident that the giants will compete in this game. 10 points. If Patrick Graham's defense, if they get a Dory Jackson back, if they can force field goals, maybe they would be able to possibly cover that, but I'm not overly optimistic. And I'm looking at this game. I looked at the Miami game. I don't think it's really comparable. Miami's offense is just a quick RPO, get the football out of Tua's hand very, very quick, get everything out of the hand, you know, uh, force the Giants defense to respect a running game that we don't have by entering the RPO mesh point, essentially. Whereas the Chargers, man, I think Dan nailed it with the just, look, you're going to play zone coverage against us. We have a quarterback who's going to thread the zone. So I expect that intermediate part of the field, deep digs, deep crossing routes to be a huge liability. And when they hit a couple of those, what's going to happen? You're going to have those underneath defenders. They're going to sink a little bit more. They're going to sink a little bit more, which is going to open up more passes to Austin Eckler in the flat, out of the backfield. And Austin Eckler is one of the best receiving backs in the National Football League. Look, Joe Lombardi, their offensive coordinator, he comes from the Saints. We know what the Saints have done with Alvin Kamara in the past. It's similar to what they do with Austin Eckler. So I'm not looking forward to anybody who has to play Austin Eckler in fantasy this week or anything like that. I'm not optimistic at all. I would think I would actually might be, and I don't even, it's kind of gross saying this, be more optimistic if Mike Lennon is playing, because I know Mike Lennon is a turnover prone machine, but he at least knows this offense. Like Jake from State Farm, he doesn't know this offense right now. Yeah. That poor guy. Like he's going to get you know thrown to the wolves out there where Derwin James, possibly Joey Bosa, looks like Asante Samuel is going to play, like you said. So yeah, uh, 10 points. I mean, I'd probably uh, lean towards... Um, taking that spread, but it also is contingent on, I think, Mike Williams being there because I think they're going to be much more aggressive if they have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. And if they don't have them, they're probably going to go with more Austin Eckler in the flat, more Donald Parham and uh, 12 personnel with Jared Cook as well. All right. I'm glad that's over. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, man. Me freaking too. I Um, hate talking about the games coming up. 
but now let's but have a conversation like this for us. It should be fun. Uh. It should be. It should be. But let's have a conversation that I think a lot of people want to have, but also a conversation that I feel like we have every single week. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate. This is a losing football team. So you have to kind of repeat conversations. However, I think it's a complex conversation. And sometimes I find myself siding with different things each time I talk about Joe Judge. Um, each time I talk about the future of the Giants and, you know, future of possibly the quarterback position, I find myself, depending on who I'm talking to and depending on like maybe what, how we're talking about it, I find myself talking like in maybe different stances. So let's talk about Joe Judge first. It is a simple conversation in terms of his future, but it's also extremely complicated. Why it's simple. I think a lot of fans, and I, even including myself, are of the belief that the head coach and the GM should be in sync. And we are operating under the belief that Dave Gettleman is retiring slash just will not be here next year. I don't care how it's done. I don't care what the word is. He's not going to be here next year. So that's what I'm operating under the premise of. So it's simple. Head coach, GM should be on the same timeline. They should be in sync. Therefore, Joe Judge should be gone. That's the simple thing, right? The more complicated, John Mara is going to sit in front of a microphone or stand in front of a microphone at the end of the year. And Dan and Nick, I want to put money on it. He is going to say to all of us, I've enjoyed Joe's process. He is going to say those exact words. I've enjoyed Joe's process the last two years. The process, and Joe Judge talks about process all the time. I've enjoyed Joe's process that he's brought the last two years in terms of a lot of the offseason stuff that Joe has kind of brought about thinking and possibly maybe even trading down free agent acquisitions. I'm not going to speculate into how involved he is because I don't know, but that's what John Mara is going to say. And what complicates John Mara saying that about a possible GM vacancy is I don't think you're going to have fans, even if there is an outside hire from outside the building, odds are it's going to have some sort of Joe Judge ties. Fan base is still not going to trust that GM because they're not going to believe when that GM says that I want Joe Judge as my head coach. So I kind of think with Joe Judge, we are almost in a lose-lose-lose situation with an open GM vacancy in terms of how we're all going to perceive it because we're just not going to believe. We're not going to believe in what this franchise kind of gives us. That was a lot to handle. What do you think? I think the only way they're going to make us believe is that they come out in 2022 and they start winning football games if they bring right. in that general manager who is linked to Joe Judge. And you're right too, man, because – if John Mayer says that, like process, 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 it's not a sound process to keep a head coach and bringing a general manager. I mean, that's been on display before with the New York Jets not that long ago with Rex Ryan and John Idzing. Now, this could be different if they get somebody from New England who knows Joe Judge and who actually buys into that. But you're right. From a fan-based perspective, I don't think we're going to fully buy into that, especially since we've seen Joe Judge through two years not really grow and not really develop his coaching habits to maximize right our potential as New York Giants fans and people who cover the team to win football games. I mean, it's still uber conservative, still so many mistakes with the timeouts. And those things end up kind of leading to potential situations that could lose you football games, man. It really does. And that's uh, my biggest gripe with Joe Judge right now. I really like everything he says in front of the microphone. You know, I think a lot of us like that, but this is a results-oriented business. You need to win football games, and he's not winning football games consistently. And the stuff that he preaches doesn't necessarily come to fruition on Sunday, man. All about attention to detail, all about minimizing mistakes. Well, this team commits a lot of stupid mistakes that lose them football games. Yeah, and I think my take would be, this you can look at 
I think Mike Tanier is the guy who, and I've been following Mike Tanier's work for 10 years before, I, before analytics was a thing. He was creating them essentially for football outsiders. And he was diving into some really interesting next level type thinking about roster building, about coaching, things of that nature. He did an article for the New York times today. did a much better really? job that any of us have done in my mind. And that's to, you know, but I'm not trying to put any of us three down, but we've all been in the same boat of trying to explain why Joe judges conservatism on these fourth down calls is a losing process. And he did a great job breaking it down. So I suggest anyone who's still on the fence about it saying, Oh, you know, they don't trust the offensive line. They did this and this and this, this is why you don't, this is why you pun here. This is why you pun here. Just read that article because you might have a different perspective. I hope you do. So judge as a coach versus judge what he does in the off season. All I can evaluate him on in my mind justin is what i see that he's definitely involved with and that's the coaching in game i don't know what how involved he was in trading down I, I i hear the stuff i hear the rumors i don't know though there's no definitive proof of that but i would say this as far as joe judge and the, the potential possibility which i see to me seems most likely right now which is they retain joe judge because john mara doesn't want to fire a, a third coach in six years and because, like you said, he likes his process, likes him as a person. He likes that he's held the locker room together, which is, by the way, just such a low bar. I hate the whole the team didn't quit on him. That's like a whole that's like when that's like your main like pro yeah. the team. Didn't it's quit that on it's that in continuity. If you're if you're arguing, oh, the team tried, the team tried and we yeah. should keep this guy for continuity. Those it, it's a similar thing with Jason Garrett back in January. Right. It, it, that's a that's kind of a bad reason. It's a, sure. you know. So. And so there's that, but I will say this, I do think they'll retain him. And I do think, like you said, what will likely happen is they'll hire a GM who has some kind of tie to judge or has a similar style of thinking. Now, ultimately, like you said, that's a tough sell for the fans, but I will give them a more 30,000 foot view that I think is optimistic and important. As long as you do that and you don't bring back jo- uh, Gettleman or Abrams, if Abrams had any part in the decision to draft Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, then you're taking a step in the right direction because my biggest fear of retaining Gettleman was that he was not going to have an unbiased opinion on whether or not to re-sign Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley because he fell in love with both of them. He's admitted he fell in love with both of them. Most of us believe he overdrafted both of them. There's mm-hmm. strong proof that he overdrafted Saquon Barkley. The jury is out on Daniel Jones, but regardless the idea that he drafted them so far ahead of where others were going to draft these players shows that he wasn't going to have a bot in my mind, an unbiased opinion on whether or not to resign them to massive contracts. So as long as they bring someone in from the outside, I at least can sleep at night knowing that we're going to have a clear, clean, unbiased outside evaluation of whether or not to move forward with the two most important decisions that this next GM will have. Do you resign Daniel Jones? Do you resign Saquon Barkley? Yeah. Not even re-signing Saquon Barkley, but it also pick up could the option. Be, yeah, you know, and and I, a guy re- a research a guy that we know as Research Rick, but on Twitter he's an NYG fan in Charlotte. A tweet that he had that really has stuck out to me: the autonomy of the new GM will be showed if Saquon Barkley is possibly traded. That is the real test of the autonomy of the new GM: is if that is a green light possible trade. You know, really, let's, let's, let's even Nick. Uh, you know, good, good. Let's get into this real quick. Saquon yeah. Barkley, right now, his value is at about its lowest. What do right. the Giants get if they decide to trade Saquon Barkley, like like uh, this uh, individual states? You know what's funny? I was just about to ask you guys that because as people who watch film week in and week out, um, now here, you want my opinion? Yes. I made this graphic um, two weeks ago, so this is before the Miami game. Um, 
Saquon Barkley, you can see 25, basically 25% of his carries either go for zero yards or negative yards. Um, and that's not good. Now, Devontae Booker's not having an awesome year, um, but it is kind of dramatically less. And obviously, having the Raider game thrown in there where the Giants offensive line and Nate, even Nate Solder, they were moving people at will, that does influence this 18.6% number. I recognize that. But Saquon Barkley, touched by the hand of God, you know, the gold jacket prospect for even with the bad offensive line for you to be having carries where you're getting, you know, one out of every four rushing attempts are going for zero yards or negative yards. I mean, that's just unacceptable in today's NFL. It's unacceptable in the NFL at all, you know, because let alone the goal of running the ball in today's game, at least in my opinion, my analytical analytics mind is saying the goal when you run the ball in today's NFL is to just stay on schedule. Don't do anything crazy. You don't need to do anything crazy in the run game. 20, 30, 40 yards. If you get it, great. But just stay on schedule. Keep the offense on schedule and keep things moving. Um, I don't know what I, I, don't, I... If I was another team, I don't know what I would get for Saquon Barkley. However, that's because I watch the Giants every day. If I didn't watch the Giants every Sunday, I would look at Saquon Barkley saying, you know what? Second year coming off an ACL... The fantasy football data and a lot of the data shows that second year coming off the ACL, that's even better. 2018 rookie of the year, the last time maybe the Giants, you know, the Giants have not had a good rushing offensive line and a good rushing scheme, maybe, and wasn't even that good in 2018. You know, but the 2021 offensive line is worse than it was in 2018. Maybe you guys can agree with that. Maybe you guys don't. If I was an unbiased perspective, I would be like, I would be interested in trading Saquon Barkley and possibly giving a third round pick. An unbiased perspective. But as a Giants fan, I watch it every day. I wouldn't give anything. Well, I think there's a couple things at play here. One, we don't unfortunately have anything to go off of because at least in recent years, and that's really all that matters. You can't go back to when uh, a GM traded his entire draft for, uh, was it Ricky Williams? Or was that was that who it was when Dick had yeah. traded the whole draft? You can't go back to that. The NFL's changed, and a lot of yeah. there's, there's very few Gettleman's left that are calling the shots. <laughs> Guys who are going to take a running back in the top eight in back-to-back years, or whenever McCaffrey went. Was it the year mm-hmm. before Barkley? In back-to-back years, he's going to say, <laughs> laugh in the face of positional value. Laugh in the face of, you know, a, all, the, all the things he laughed at. I, I'm watching Jonathan Stewart film, and I don't think he's lost a step. Tells us that with a straight place. There's few guys like that, you know. Most of these teams are not run by those types of people anymore, and so you're going to have a hard time finding any example of a team trading for a player, so we have nothing to base this off of. But I think the bigger issue at play here is that, I'm curious what you guys think about this, I don't really feel like I'm watching the same player on film that I watched in 2018. And the 2018 offensive line, while it might have been slightly better, was not much better. And no. the scheme was not much better from an offensive system standpoint. I don't, and yet the results are so, so much different right now. And I'm just not sure I'm watching the same player. I really said this last podcast. I think he's having a confidence issue right now. I think he's starting to read and hear a lot of the people doubting him. And the injuries are piled up and he's trying to play through injuries and he's not sure if he's fully back through injuries, but he's got to play because the, the people are talking and, and all this. And I'm just not seeing the same confidence, not anywhere near it, what I saw in 2018. So if other people are watching the film that I'm watching of Saquon Barkley, yeah, I just don't know how you're going to offer more than even just like a, a four for him I know. Like, at this point. See, I don't know, man. I, I can see a team picking late in the second round 
being like, you know what, this is the guy we need. We are going to be picking late because we're a good football team. Maybe we just need a difference-making type of running back behind our good offensive line that can, you know, force defenses to try to focus on the run a little bit more. And you know what, we don't necessarily need this to. That's kind of where I'm at now. I wouldn't, I'm not going to, you know, sign my name to that, but I think there is a conversation to be had that a late second round pick from a better football team who's competing to win a Super Bowl may be interested in a skill set like Saquon Barkley two years after the ACL. I mean, the guy's 25 years old right now. He still has tons of football ahead of him. And if you put him in an offense that isn't, you know, just absolutely disgusting, like the New York Giants, you get him into space and stuff like that. I mean, that's where Saquon Barkley thrives, going, you know, just vertical, hitting a hole and just going. That could be a difference maker for that team that 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 team may think, hey, if we add this type of running back, that may take us to the next level. It's just something that popped into my head. And I also just think all it takes is one general manager, one team to believe that. Like a lot of people, I mean, the the Kansas City Chiefs, man, they could have invested that first round pick on Clyde Edwards-Alaire in many different directions. And they went with Clyde Edwards-Alaire that year. So there are teams that are still investing, you know, prime draft capital into the running back position. Yeah, the Steelers did it with Najee Harris as well. And I do think that overall, if you, I mean, obviously the, both those teams are probably regretting it. I mean, not, maybe not the Steelers just yet, but time will tell. But I do think what you said, Nick, is spot on. If you, if you can get that same guy who was like accelerating through those holes and finding them and that home run, that often home run hitter, you know, more of like less of the Joey Gallo and more of the John Carlos Stanton type of back. Mm. Cause that's all he is really. That's all he's ever been for the giants. A, a Chris Johnson, a poor man. And some people have called him a poor man's Chris Johnson, but that, I don't think that's fair. Like a CJ two K when he was in his two K season, that was like Barkley's rookie season. He's a home run hitting back, but right now we're not getting the home runs. And right. he just doesn't look on film to me. Like even the, like he looked in his 2019 season. Cause when he came back off that high ankle, I believe it was in 2019. That's the injury he suffered. I'm pretty sure. He did look really good the second half of that season. He looked it took, it like took him a few point. weeks to get back, yeah. but I mean the the la- I think from fa- that Miami game on, yep. like he was good. He was like, looking really like good. the old Saquon, but I just don't see that right now for whatever reason. I'm not looking at that, and I guess like hopefully you can find a GM who's like again you're removed from the ACL. He can get back to that. We can build his confidence back up with a better offensive line. And like you said, Nick, all it does take is one GM. Yeah, all it does is take and, one. And again, like. We're we're watching them every single every single week in every single play, you know. And, yeah. and Nick is right about that one GM point where it even this even the same argument goes for Evan Ingram. You know, uh, there there are teams that are going to look at what this guy can do versus what he hasn't been doing, and that's what I think the bottom line is for a guy like Ingram, where it's like, oh, he would go to another team and he would be great. What he's not a good football player, and then it's the same thing with Saquon Barkley, like. There's going to be a team and there's going to be a GM, a fan base that's going to look at that guy and that's going to put on the big plays. Um, and this is what this guy can do for us versus, you know, compiling uh, and calculating how many zero yard gains or negative y- negative yard gains that he's had, like the psychopath that I am. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it's uh, come down to. Really interesting for the New York Giants because I don't know if Evan Ingram is going to be retained. And if you look around free agency right now, you have David Njoku, who's more than likely going to be a free agent. O.J. Howard, who could be a free agent. You have Evan Ingram. Dalton Schultz is up to be a free agent. There's a lot of solid Gerald Everett. There's a lot of solid tight end options who could be out there. So I'm wondering what the Giants are going to do. Are they just going to, they're, they're not going to go into next season, obviously, with just Caden Smith and Kyle Rudolph. So do they think about possibly bringing back Evan Ingram? And how do they even do that though with their current cap situation? Joy. It's a joy. joy. It's a joy of a question, Nick. <laughs> That's what it really is. 
Um, Nick, you you were uh, uh, Dan, you were talking about um that article that you brought up uh, recently um that uh, Mike Trainer wrote, and I found this uh this was one of my favorite um excerpts. What's the point of trusting the defense to get the ball back after a punt if the offense cannot be trusted to gain a necessary yard or two? Um, because I feel like that's one of the points that we've been trying right. to contradict as the years have gone on. You know of why why is the aggressive mindset almost better for a bad offense versus like an offense that just scores points. Like if we just scored points more at will, or even just at an average rate. Yeah. We like, can afford to punt more. In these yes. Spots. We could afford to kick a field goal. We could afford to punt, but the fact that like, why should we trust our defense if we can't even trust our offense to score points on a consistent basis? Cause at the end of the day, the name of the, the name of the game is scoring points. Um, and that actually leads me to a question that I have, that I have, that I have for you guys. So there's people like myself who, you know, I've said it over and over again, you know, you guys are so nitty gritty and you're so, in, you know, you're in the film and, you know, you're inside of, you know, kind of, kind of almost like the, the coach's mind, the evaluator's mind. Whereas me, I have the take of this Giants coaching staff does not prioritize scoring as many points as possible and does not prioritize scoring seven points. So that's a very bold statement and it's a very broad statement. Would you agree with that? And do you think that's fair to say about this Giants team and this Giants coaching staff? Oh, I think it's 100% fair to say. And I don't find it to be a bold statement. And I think we have proof it's not a bold statement because there was literally a post-game. Uh, there was multiple moments post-game that have proven this to me. The first one was after they beat, I believe it was Carolina, and they had a late-game punt. And then and, and then they ended up uh, then forcing a punt. And then they scored on the next possession of the Giants. So they punted it. They forced a the punt, scored. And Judge was like, see, I told you, it's the process. It's not about the results. That was the first moment I was like, oh, my God. And then the second one was a few games later where he even said himself to a judge, I don't think it's always important to score touchdowns. I think sometimes yeah. you have to be more focused. You shoot, on you shoot yourself in the foot. That's the, you shoot yourself in the foot when foot you find yourself in a touchdown. situation. Yeah. And so he's, he's admitted it to us. This is he's shown it on the field and he's also said it in his words. So I don't find it to be a bold take. I think it's just the facts. Yeah, spot on. It's just the facts. And sometimes I don't even think that's necessarily always a bad thing. I think it depends on the context of the game. For me with Joe Judge is he leans on that far too often. And I don't feel like he always has the best feel of what's actually going on and when to go for it. And I understand, man, the offense sucks. The offensive line is terrible. But on that fourth and two, man, like you got to pick up two yards in that situation. You need to kind of provide a spark. You're in Miami territory at that point. And I would have much rather have him. And I know Miami ended up punting there. So he could even sit back there and be like, hey, look, did it again. But you need to just show a little bit of aggressiveness. This uber conservative approach is not conducive to success long term whatsoever. Man, you can grind out these 17 to 14 wins and that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, you're never going to win big football games against really good teams with this current roster playing that way. And you're what? You're four and seven heading into that game. Take a risk, man. All right, before we get to some fun questions and we'll wrap up, I want to touch on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, complicated situation that he has. And it still is kind of a wait and see because if he comes back with this Freddie Kitchens offense and if there's a game where there's 30 points, then some talking points may change, you know? And that's ultimately why this sucks because I was one to say that the Garrett, Jason Garrett, was not the sole problem, but I think he was the biggest problem of the last two years. Um complicated conversation even that is too 
but this is the third year in a row where Daniel Jones is missing games late in the year. Um, where are you right now? And along with you know this be, Daniel Jones being the leader of an offense that doesn't score points, where are you right now with Daniel Jones? And where are you right now with thinking of the future of the Giants' quarterback position? This is always the toughest questions. I'm going to yeah. let Nick, Nick tackle it first. It's tough for so many reasons because yeah. it's one of the only questions I feel like if you answer fully honestly, sometimes people will just be like, oh, you're a hater. You're a mm -hmm. hater. You're a hater. Because everybody's so baked into this excuse about, you know, his offensive line so bad and his coordinator was so bad. Throw everything out. You can't evaluate him. So, Nick, take it from here and then I'll, and then I'll get into my little spiel. Yeah, Dan and I, we talk about this a lot on the Big Blue Banter podcast. And look, I think Daniel Jones is a quarterback in the perfect environment who can win football games for you. But my question is, do you really want to invest a second contract into a quarterback that needs everything around him to be good to have success? And my answer to that is no. I don't want to – I will be fine, I think, picking up the fifth-year option – given that there may not be a better option for the New York Giants and the fact that this draft class, and I haven't dove deep into this yet, doesn't seem that strong at the quarterback position. Daniel Jones, I think we've seen signs of progression, but it hasn't been completely linear. It hasn't been going up all the time. It goes like this and it goes down a little bit, goes down. I feel like he's maneuvered the pocket much better than he did maybe early on in his career. I feel like he's still a little bit slow with his eyes. He's a little bit slow to kind of see pre to post snap what those safeties are doing because there are windows and he's leaving points He's leaving yards on the field. I don't think he's the biggest issue with this offense. I agree with you, Justin. I believe it was Jason Garrett, but it's not like he is putting this team on his back despite everything else that's going on. I get all of those gripes. I get the fact that there's injuries, that the offensive line sucks, but you still need to show progression from a, from a film standpoint and not make those same mistakes. And he falls back, you know, with that pressure is coming, he falls back and he starts making those mistakes, man. That's why everybody pressures him. I mean, Daniel Jones through week 10, I think it was, was the most pressured quarterback in the national football league. Defensive coordinators look at Daniel Jones and they say, we're going to send pressure at him because he hasn't proven the, the fact that he can beat the pressure because he yeah. just doesn't do that consistently right now. So I I'm willing to give him another year, possibly pick up that fifth year option. I'm willing to do all of those things, but I'm not tying my 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 ship or my wagon, whatever, to him long-term right now. He hasn't earned that quite yet. I love his athletic ability, but another thing about Daniel Jones that I don't love is when you use his athletic ability, he gets dinged up, and that's unfortunate, <laughs> but this is three years in a row now, man. This is three years in a row, and if you can't utilize Daniel Jones' athletic ability, then he is a significantly worse yeah. quarterback, significantly. Yeah, I, I I've always said that you know because you look at the e, you look at the EPA data and it's yeah. when Daniel Jones has his best rushing games as a quarterback that's when he's in the top ten sometimes even top five in quarterback EPA from that weekend mm -hmm. uh, but the games where he's not really not running the ball at least when you don't count 2019 because he didn't do much design runs and running much in 2019 anyway you know when you look at 2020 and 2021 there really hasn't been a game where wow Daniel Jones has been Super productive, even not just counting the box score stats, because you're not going to stuff the box score in this Giants offense in 2020 and 2021. But even when he's been super productive, it's always been kind of relying on, well, is he producing the explosive plays with his legs? And now, Nick, you mentioned something about Daniel Jones versus the Blitz. Now, at least my theory and my thinking last year is, oh, Jason Garrett's offense does not stretch the field enough and consistently and does not produce those explosive plays. So 
if teams don't respect your ability to produce those explosive plays and get beaten by that on a consistent basis, then we're just going to blitz the, the living shit out of you, right? Left and right, left and right, left and right. Now, do you, so that's how I viewed it from like that Jason Garrett standpoint. How do you view and how do you weigh Daniel Jones against the blitz versus the schematic limitations of not producing those explosive plays, not stretching the field, et cetera, et cetera. How do you weigh those two things together? Maybe which do you put more weight on? Well, I think a lot of those concepts that Jason Garrett employed, spacing concepts, quick hitting concepts, stick concepts, are concepts that are designed to defeat the blitz. And Daniel Jones mm -hmm. wasn't always quick enough to find that. And now this is a question that Dan and I have talked about. And I kind of want to pose it to you as well, Justin. And it goes along with what you just said. How much of Jason Garrett's unimaginative offense and lack of aggressiveness was a product of Daniel Jones? I mean, what we saw from 2019 is that, you know, that was not the most explosive offense. You know, sometimes I feel like we do exaggerate just how great Pat Shermer was in 2019. Yes. Um, I want to, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's the most exaggerated season by a quarterback you'll ever, you'll ever see. If you really look at the brass facts of it, if you take yeah. a look at things like EPA, and, yeah, I did it again. That's the third miss. <laughs> If you just take a look at the actual truth, like yeah. look at the look at the advanced analytics of that game. Look at how many games they weren't able to generate a consistent pass offense. It was a very overrated season because of the touchdown number, which was great. And also, be, and I want to get into this with Jones. I, I'll, I'll jump in now because I got to give my Jones spiel here. We'll, we'll talk. I feel like you're going to hear a lot of repeated stuff here because me and Nick talk about this so much, not only on the podcast, but off that we have a lot of the same thoughts right now on this. I feel um, the overall 30,000 foot view. We'll do the macro level first. I'm in the same boat and I've always, and I've always been in this boat of, I'm not so sure I'm, I'm of the opinion that I want to build a roster around this type of quarterback long-term because the results haven't been great. Kirk Cousins, you can't win with him taking up that kind of cap space. The Vikings are proof of it. Jared Goff, it didn't work and they had to trade him. And there's very few examples. Now, the problem is the macro level, there's also a big problem. That problem is there aren't many difference-making quarterbacks. I can think of like a few right now that I believe can be difference-makers. Kyler, Burrow, Herbert, Mahomes, uh, Rodgers. And then I start to run out. I'm sure I just missed a couple right there, but I start to run out. And they're incredibly hard to find. And they're not in every class. Like Nick said, we haven't taken the time yet to watch this class. And I'm going to now. I really am. Because to me, I think Nick said it best. From week five on, from my in my mind, I've seen a big regression out of Jones. From the film from week five on after that Saints game until last week when he was taken out, there's been a massive regression in my mind on the tape. It's been really ugly tape from the Giants passing game with Jones in there, if we're just going to be honest about it. But like Nick said, this quarterback class, I don't know if I like any of these prospects. And I don't want to get into a situation where we're doing what we did in 2019, forcing a quarterback because you need somebody to replace Eli Manning. You want to retire off in Nantucket, having said that you found it's quarterback. So you go down to the senior bowl. You didn't like this guy to begin with. I mean, he spent six games going to watch Justin Herbert, none watching Jones in his final season, finds him at the senior bowl, loves the way he leads the huddle, loves how he practiced that week, starts to watch some film that he convinced himself on. And you love this guy. Well, I don't want that. I certainly don't want that again, Justin. Yeah. So for me on the, on the minor level, or uh, I guess the, we did the macro level. Let's take it down a notch. My biggest issue with Jones right now is that I think he has slow eyes. I think Jones does a really bad job post snap of processing the defense. And I think he does a bad job of recognizing patterns within the defense. I think it's someone explained it to me the other day, someone I really like who breaks down quarterback film. He's like, most of what playing quarterback is it's pattern recognition. It's, you know, being able to recognize these, 
things that you see on the film and then what you see on the field from what the defensive coordinators are doing before and after the snap. And I just think Jones has never displayed that at any point in his career. At Duke, he was a one-read quarterback. That offense was snap, get the ball out of your hands to a screen or snap, get it out quick. And then Pat Shermer got him and he simplified the hell of the offense. See, people always come back to this. Like the reason they can't give up on Jones is because he looks so good in 2019 with Pat Shermer. Why don't we just give him a new coordinator and then he can look like Pat Shermer again. But what they don't really think about in my mind is that Pat Shermer simplified the hell out of that offense for him. It was all half field reads high to low. And over time, you can't expect a quarterback to only be able to operate out of a half field read, like an offense that was that simplified. Because as you get more tape, defenses take away the simple reads that that you were that were available to you. And what Jason Garrett asked him to do was a lot more. He expanded the entire scope of what Jones has to do as a quarterback. And in my mind, from the film I see over and over again, he hasn't done a good job adjusting to that. His eyes are too slow. He doesn't. Uh, and like Nick said. It's really bad news to me. I'm going to take the question you asked, Nick, and I'm going to say 75% or more is on the quarterback when you can't beat a blitz because the best quarterbacks in the NFL, you cannot even blitz them. Look at the game plan Patrick Graham had to resort to against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. Everyone's like, I, I talked to a lot of fans uh, of the Giants who are in family members on around Thanksgiving. They're like, you know, you love Patrick Graham and you've praised him and you love the way they built this defense out back to front with the secondary and all the analytics. But what happens against the Bucs? We couldn't do anything. Why didn't they try anything? I was like, trust me. If they tried anything as far as sending extra pass rushers at Tom Brady, it would have led to 40-yard touchdowns, yeah. broken plays, and yep. massive plays. You cannot blitz Tom Brady. The best quarterbacks in the NFL, you can't blitz them because they beat it every time with their mind. And that's something Daniel Jones has not been able to do, beat the blitz with his mind. And I said after that Tampa game, when I was at my lowest on Jones last year, that I was worried that was going to be a blueprint for how to beat Jones from this point on. Todd Bowles blitzed him on 79% of the snaps. At that time, it was the most any quarterback had been blitzed in a single game last year. And season. did the same thing in 2022, and you saw that that was Jones' worst. Yep. And so I still think the book is out on Jones. You just got to blitz him and until he proves he can beat that with his mind. I'm not so sure that, you know, he's where he needs to be for the Giants to feel confident moving forward in him. The, the funny thing is, is one of the talking points and one of the things that I was looking at on, on, on next gen. Now, again, this is this is analytics. This is numbers and things can be skewed. And, you know, sometimes things doesn't it doesn't show up like this on film. NFL next gen labeled Daniel Jones after his rookie year as one of the top 10 quarterbacks against the blitz. And that dramatically changed in 2020 and 2021. So I'm thinking to myself, and, and again, this is how I think. And I, I, I look at things a little bit differently than you guys, because you guys are looking at the tape. You come away with your takes. I look at the next gen data from that 2020 season. I haven't, I don't have a really refreshed in 2021, but I guarantee it doesn't look that much different, but the 2020 season, his tight window rate, and the tight window throws that like 20, you know, over 20% of his passing attempts are going into tight windows and which that tells me it's either a Daniel Jones is making a bad decision on where to throw the ball or B his wide receivers don't get open. Okay. So let's examine that. You look at the wide receiver separation numbers, you compare them to 2019, 2020. It was helpful that the wide receivers and the tight ends were basically the same from 2019 to 2020. So it was kind of easy to compare, except it was just different offensive systems. The wide receiver separation and yards after the catch kind of dramatically took a little bit of a dip from 2019 to 2020. So it's that's what I looked at. My, like when I said, okay, I looked at 2019, Jones was labeled as a top 10 quarterback against the Blitz, throwing against the Blitz versus 2020, why he was so bad. It's because 
You're not getting a lot of routes that stem a lot of separation, not getting a lot of routes that stem a lot of yards after the catch. Therefore, Daniel Jones is throwing into tight windows. That's what I kind of framed it and I kind of thought, but I guarantee you it's a combination of kind of everything. Daniel Jones not recognizing things enough, you know, not reading a defense, not reading things fast enough from, you know, post-snap. And then also probably, you know, a coordinator in a system that, was not the best either, which I know you guys have recognized as well. So it's just, I think, a, it's a, a, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's the NFL adjusting to who he is as a quarterback on film, mm. because he saw a lot more man coverage as a rookie because they didn't realize yet that he's much worse against zone than man. And he was in a system, like I said, that was very simplified for him, but this Jason Garrett system wasn't really simplified for him at all. Oh. And he, and it just doesn't seem like he adjusted well to it. And I agree. And we agree like with you and we've said it countless times. It's not like, Oh, well, Daniel Jones couldn't take out to Jason Garrett's complex system. Jason Garrett's system sucks. It was a failed, broken offense. Like, let me not, let me make it clear that this ain't all on Jones by mm-hmm. any means. You also got to look at the philosophies of those two coordinators, too. Pat Shermer's philosophy right. was attack downfield. I'm trying to save my job. Let's try to win football games with mm. this offense because James Betcher's defense was terrible. And they were able to put up points, whereas Jason Garrett was very conservative because he had a bad offensive line and a quarterback who turned the football over a lot. So I think a lot of that goes into it. And to touch on what Justin was saying a little bit earlier about the collective issue of everything, you also got to throw the pass protection in there because there were times to speak to Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones like, okay, no, I have a blitz here, but he's going to be protected by Saquon Barkley because I got this pass protection. He's going to fill a B gap and I'll be just fine. And guess what? Saquon Barkley missed his assignment or uh, Will Hernandez is missing. So there was a lot of pass protection breakdowns as well that kind of lead into that too. Oh boy, having so many games where Nate Solders your left tackle and then your right tackle. Um. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the Good problem luck. with all of it because yeah, those are valid excuses for why he hasn't played as well. They really well, are. Uh, excuse, excuse is a, it, they're they're valid reasons as to why you know. Hey, if you're if you're on the camp where maybe he deserves another season, right. then yes, it's fair. But also, like all of you, but like you guys have been saying those are also valid reasons too. Cause you know, sometimes the word excuse can just be like, Oh, that's the one excuse when football is a game of nuance and it's, and it's just so it's so complicated. So that's why, you know, basically to kind of end the Jones conversation, we'll have a few minutes where we kind of, kind of BS and we ask some fun questions. Um, where I am with Jones is the NFL is bad at evaluating quarterbacks. So that means I'm bad at evaluating quarterbacks, <laughs> but I do not blame anybody. If we are thinking about, drafting a quarterback this year like if we're thinking about drafting trading for i don't blame anybody i don't i don't know where i am right now where i am is i'm poking my toe in the water i'm poking my toe in the water of thinking about hey if this is if if a situation comes up where saquon barkley can go to seattle and pete carroll falls in love with him and we got to trade away some draft picks for russell wilson i don't know (laughs) but that's that's a very back part of my brain I'm open to dipping my toe in the water where if there's a situation that does come up, I will, I will talk myself into a quarterback or have Daniel Jones as like that bridge quarterback next year. Um, you know, and we, and we solve it somewhere else down the line. So, you know, it's just missing games. It's just missing games that really hurts in the month of December. So let me ask you a quick question. So if the 2020 quarterback draft was a 2021 quarterback draft, are we all just like, okay, they're definitely going to go with one of these five guys. Hmm. I'm sorry. Say that again. Even, with the Giants, even package yeah. picks, 
to to trade up to get one of those guys since they have two first round picks. The 2020 quarterback class, oh. 2021 quarterback class, what would the Giants really be looking at doing with their draft capital, the Daniel Jones situation, and the fact that you have five potential really good starting quarterbacks? Is it crazy to say they would take Mac Jones and everybody would laugh, laugh, laugh at them, but they would probably be right? <laughs> No, I don't think you're saying if, if Jones is still on the raw and Daniel Jones is still on the roster, right? Yeah, I'm saying no, I think they've proven to us that no matter who was in the class, they wouldn't have drafted over Jones. I mean, yeah. we, we know that Dave Gettleman was in love no, with Dave Gettleman's Gordon. not here. This is 2021. Oh, got you. We have a new GM in place. Yes. Okay, this is a confusing question. I, I, I'm trying to follow. So, so leads. Dan, so it, the 2020 draft, the 2020 draft didn't happen. But oh, the 2020, okay. but the 2020 prospects that we saw last, or no, excuse me, do you mean the 2020 or 2021 draft class, Nick? <laughs> 2021, yes. 2021. So Mac Jones, Justin Fields, all those guys okay. are now in this year's draft class. Yeah. Would the Giants take a quarterback? But they they still have Daniel Jones, right? Yes, yes. they still have okay. Daniel Jones. The last year's draft, move it to this year. Well, I don't know. It depends on who the new GM is, right? Yeah, but I'm or saying, like, what, what are you thinking? Like, where, yeah, what, what would, would I do? do? Yeah, where would you? Oh, what would I do? With I'll be honest, Nick. For me, I'm big on like having to have an eva- a full evaluation of these players to make a decision. And as you know, as we've talked about, we didn't take that much time to evaluate the quarterbacks last year. So I didn't do a full eval on Fields. I didn't do a full eval on Lance at all. I loved Wilson, and I still loved Wilson. But and obviously Lawrence is Lawrence, and you wouldn't have had a ch- we wouldn't have had a chance at him. So it really would have been, I guess. And we would have probably well, we'd had the trade up potential, right? But no one's trading. Or, or they just uh, <laughs> we let Mac Jones fall into our lap, which oh, wouldn't Mac, Mac Jones? Jones well. Mac Jones would not. Wouldn't he just be the the perfect Giants kind of quarterback? And yeah, he would, would have just fallen into our laps. And it, the crazy thing is, is that everybody would have laughed at us. But I think, as you're seeing, you know, everybody laughed at the Patriots, but they were right, and he's going to be Rookie of the Year, and he's running away with it. So <laughs> I find that to be funny. Yeah. All right. I, I, can, uh, I can laugh at that. I can't laugh at the Herbert situation. I can I can at least uh, laugh at that one. The Herbert one still just brings too much pain for me. All right. Well, let's well let's move on and ha- let's have some laughs. Let's yeah. act, let's yeah. actually have laugh and not and not have some uh, sarcastic stuff. So <laughs> we uh we answered a question on today's on today's mailbag pod, and I just want to bring it back. I have some other fun questions too, but I just want to bring it back. So um, Rupert Pupkin asked on Twitter. If we were to draft three Giants beat reporters to fight with us, like to join us, like not fight against them, but to join us like for a for a fight, who would you draft? And Dan, I'm throwing it to you first. Who is the first pick in your Giants beat reporter fight fight club? Yes, I'll start by saying this. I wish I could be in your league because you and Snacks missed the best pick by far. Like the the first overall pick whiff by all. You guys had six picks and you didn't take him. It's an obvious pick. Jordan oh. Ronan. He's battle tested. He's been there. You all know about the time this he got true. into. You all know about the time he got into a physical <laughs> altercation with Eric Flowers. He got shoved by Flowers. He got back up. He walked it off. And he's a better man for it today. And and store legends tell that, you know, he was the winner of that fight. Some people say, you know what? Maybe Ronan actually won that fight because a couple years later, Flowers is out the building and Ronan's still here reporting about the New York football giants. So Jordan Ronan, the clear one, one battle tested. You've seen him. You know, he can do it. That's my first pick. Are we doing a snake draft or am I going to go three here? Or does Nick get a choice now? I mean, if, if we even want, we'll just go like one, one by one. Oh. And if you want, if you want to repeat people, because I guess we're picking from a limited pool, that's okay. It's, so go ahead, it's, Nick. it's true. 
See, Ronan would have been my pick as well because of that situation. He also wow. seems to have an edge to him on Twitter and everything like that. Yeah, true. But I honestly don't know that much about a lot of the Giants beats. Now, I've worked for one of them, and I currently work for another, but neither of them really fit the bill of, of somebody I'd kind of want to join in my fight. You don't, so, th- you don't think Patty You don't think Patty Trania can, uh, I think can, uh, Patty, can throw it down? I think Patty can definitely throw it down, but she's such <laughs> a nice person i know she's a saint she's such a good person that you know i don't i can't picture her you know coming to scraps with somebody and then ed's getting you know he's getting a little long with the tube right there you know so i don't really know what's going on with that so i'm gonna go with somebody that i feel like not a lot of people like and uh, i'm gonna go pat leonard (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) i would go contrarian here just to um just to kind of get a conversation going. Not a lot of people like him. I think he knows not a lot of people like him. And uh, he's going to go out there and maybe surprise some people with his with his little this right there. Yeah. I mean, our Art was both of our first. Well, no, technically, Snacks picked Zach Rosenblatt because he was loyal. Because he's loyal to Snacks and he wrote a story on Snacks. So I'm like, all right. All right. You know, it's, he's not a bad pick. And Snacks Rosenblatt is all about, would you know. Be lo- lowest on my list. And I Sna- like him. I know, he's a nice I guy know. and I like his coverage. But Snacks says Snacks is all, you know, he's all Italian. So he's like loyalty and family. I'm like, all right, take it easy. Listen, um, the reason you got to pick Rosenblatt last is because the guy wears a jacket on the beach. Immediate <laughs> last a- pick. <laughs> he recently changed his profile picture. And I was like, oh, Zach, Thank God. Cute, cute pick. I was like, uh, why'd you change it? He's like, oh, because I was getting criticism for wearing a jacket on the beach. I was like, oh, okay. Um, understandable, you said. Art. Art Stapleton is is the. Is, is yeah, Art Stapleton pick. is a clear topic. I mean, um, so I, I just pick a. I pick guys with dad rage and I have a feeling Dan Duggan has dad rage. Like he recently just had a kid and I, I we talked to him over the summer and he just sound, he sounded almost like a different human being. Like, I would okay, go yeah, Lombardo over Duggan because Lombardo I've seen get into like furious, furious political, politically charged debates on Twitter where he's just like destroying people or like getting mad at all these political takes or defending his own political takes. So I've seen that political rage and I've seen what the politics can bring out in him. So I'd actually go Lombardo over Duggan. Now this isn't a critique. Yeah, this isn't a critique, but Lombardo is an Eagle fan, so I can imagine (laughs) you know maybe some of that Eagle Philadelphia you know uh, brotherly love coming out of him. Um, I also said what I think that you guys would find funny, but you don't have to comment on it if you don't want. Um, I I always I think it's Jerry's the the beat reporter out of the Giant Insider people. No, it's Chris. Oh, got it wrong. Um, Chris. We don't really, we don't, we're not very fond of them, but the fact that he, uh, but the, and they're not fond of us, but the fact that there's a, there's, he has that New York accent. I could see him being like, bada bing, bada boom. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. So that's why I, I could see that. And that's why I drafted him. And he'll always bring, be able to bring a weapon to a fight with that big pen. <laughs> that is true. Where he was doing that, the, the film breakdowns. Yeah. So that's my second pick. Nice. I'm Let's go, go rapid fire. Two more, two more okay. rapid fire. I'm going to go with Patty just because she's going to bring the kindness and no one's going to ever want to harm her. So I'm going with Patricia Trana. Beautiful. I've made my picks. I, I stand by them. Jordan, Ron on the EBS, easy one, one Lombardo and hard. It's a great Beautiful. team. All right. So I have something to show you. I showed it to you before the show, so it's not going to be as funny, but I find myself when I'm watching all 22, I find myself to be looking at things that aren't happening that are directly related to the play. So this is my favorite moment of this year where it's a third down. Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers are going to make a nice tackle on uh, on the running back here. And then David Moa <laughs> is just going to get really, really excited and get the crowd pumped up. So I found that when I was watching All-22. I'm like, okay, David Moa is now a person that I want to hang out with. So based on your All-22 film study this year, 
are there any players or is there a player where they've done something that's been funny or something that you like that you would like, hey, I want to hang out with them or I like this guy's vibe? I got two. So one on offense, one on defense. And the one on offense kind of goes to what you just showed, a sideline celebration. And it was Sterling Shepard. And it might have been in that Carolina Panthers game. I'm not 100% certain. But there was a catch at the sticks. And the guy falls at the sticks, first down, Sterling Shepard runs up. And this dude's injured, right? He runs up, like plants both of his oh, feet yes. and just screams like, <laughs> and just did that. And I was like, yo, that's a dude I'd grab a beer with. And then on defense, bro, Dexter Lawrence, bro. Dexter Lawrence, this dude, he gets a sack. He does, so fun. He does the big man dance and everything like that. So I think I'm going to roll with uh, Big Sexy Dexy and uh, Sterling Shepard. Nick stole my thunder a little bit with the Shepard pick. That would be my pick as well. I've actually had the opportunity to eat, uh, to interview Shepard, his rookie season when I was with 24 seven sports or coming off his rookie season. Super nice guy in person. Like you can just tell, but based on what Nick is saying, you always see him on the sideline, hyping up players, even Barkley when he had that one nice run last week, like I was watching the film and I saw Shepard like right in his face, like not dressed or anything, but just right in his face, like dapping him up, like giving him the confidence he needs. So Shepard for sure. On the other side, it would be a player who's no longer playing right now for the giants. It might not be, back and that would be Jabril Peppers mm-hmm. I just feel like Jabril Peppers is my kind of guy I actually watched him once in high school when he was at his final year of high school return a kickoff for 101 yards and a touchdown he literally looked like he was playing with with athletes that should be on the JV team the way that his game speed looked like at that level and so yeah. he would be the guy I would pick for the defense I went I went to St. Peter's prep so uh, yeah my uh my freshman year was Jabril Peppers's junior year and that's that was the year before I think the year of he committed to Michigan because that his senior year he committed and then Paramus Catholic had him play in tight end. I mean, he still won the state championship, but <laughs> they had him play in tight end his senior year. Cause I guess they didn't want him getting hurt, but his junior year, he was quarterback running back everything. Um, and he, it was, I, I didn't like him for the longest time. I really hated his guts. Um, but now, you know, now he's a giant, you know, at least, you know, at least, at least for now he's a giant and I've, and I've fallen, I've fallen in love with him. All right, fellas. So it's been fun, fun little live stream. You know, we uh we 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 did our best to have some serious conversations, but also have some laughs amongst a, a football team with not a lot of hope moving forward. But uh, Dan and Nick, thank you for joining us. If you have any uh closing thoughts to get us out of here, please uh please give them. No, nah, just happy to be here and talk Giants football with guys like you, Justin. It's been fun. Hope we get to do this in the future with Bobby. And, uh, and I'll stand by the point I made earlier. It's really only two podcasts you guys need to be consuming, ours and Talking Giants. Love awesome, it. guys. Yeah, yeah. This has been a lot of fun, Justin, man. We'll do a it again. A little cocky there with that final closing comment. By me, but <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Fuck it. You got to have a big ego in this business. I always say you do. that. You got to have a big <laughs> ego. You know, you got yeah. you to love what you do, and you got to think that you're doing a good job. So For yeah. sure. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for having us, though, Justin. Hopefully we'll do this soon, and hopefully the Giants will be good eventually. Yes, there you please, go. dear God. All right, we got a, we got a comment about, is Bobby alive? And I need to, <laughs> and I need to pull it up. Uh, yo, is Bobby alive? Yes, he is alive. Don't worry. He will be back on the preview pod, which we'll be recording tomorrow. Patreon.com slash Talking Giants if you want to see it beforehand. And then uh, we will be you know, live and we'll have that episode live Friday morning. So preview pod then thank you to everybody for tuning in. Uh, go subscribe. I put the link in the description on Apple, the link to the description of big blue banter, go subscribe um, to their podcast. Go check them out. Give them five stars, all that. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you soon. Peace. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.